Hello, and welcome to the Elk River Lutheran Church Powered by Love podcast, recorded in beautiful downtown Elk River, Minnesota, right on the banks of the Mississippi River. Today we'll explore the Bible, life, and faith. So sit back, relax, and enjoy some sacred wit. To be powered by love is a spiritual thing, more than a feeling. To be powered by love Don't take money Don't take fame Don't take no credit card To ride this train It's strong and sudden It's cruel sometimes But it might just save Your life To be powered by love Well, welcome to episode two of Binge the Bible, the biblical preview here where we're going to talk about the historical books of the Bible, which means that in the next five minutes, we're going to go through 1,000 years of history of the people and nation of Israel. Are you ready? Are you ready? So we start with the historical books where we left off last week. And so if you missed last week, you can go back and find the videos from Sunday on Facebook or YouTube. Uh, or else if you listen to podcasts, we have a podcast, the Powered by Love podcast, and can listen to the audio version there. Uh, but we went through creation, uh, through Moses leading the people almost to the promised land. And so that's where we start today, where Moses has died and the people are just entering the promised land. So that's a good place to be. They're entering the promised land, and so they need a new leader since Moses is gone. And so J Joshua starts it off. And Joshua is our first historical book of the Bible. In your, in your bulletin, there's a little uh, handy-dandy uh, list of the books. And Joshua is the first one, and he is exactly that. He's the, the person who fills in after Moses is gone, and he leads the people into the promised land. But... The promised land has people there. And so the book of Joshua is full of all these stories of conquests of the people of Israel, which is kind of a nice way of saying wars. Like they had to fight all these wars to establish a place in this promised land. And so one of the other things Joshua does is uh, he helps establish the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, these families of Jacob, who is called Israel, including Joseph, who had the multicolored coat, if you remember him, uh, and his uh, 11 brothers, they become the 12 tribes. And so that nation of Israel, as it's being formed in the promised land, gets divided up into these 12 tribes, these 12 parts of the nation of Israel. And so after Joshua dies, they again need a new leader. And instead of getting another just single person to be their leader, God instead instills the system of judges, which brings us to our second historical book of the Bible, which is called... Judges, yes. And so the judges in the Bible uh, are a little different than the judges we know today who are wearing robes and you know, using a gavel to uh, you know, rule on justice matters and laws. Uh, instead, uh, they did probably wear robes because it was Bible times, uh, but uh, they weren't less like the judges we know today and more like local governors or rulers of the area. And so the judges, some of them were really great and some of them were not so good. And so finally, uh, the people of Israel are like, we're tired of judges. And they look around and they see that some of the other nations around them have kings. And they think, we want a king. We want a king. And so they say to God, God, we want a king. We're tired of these judges. Some of them are good. Some of them are bad. We want a king because kings are powerful and that will be great. And God says to them, I don't think you're going to like a king. But they say, we want a king. And God says, no, 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 no. Kings aren't always great. They're not always great. And they say, but no, really, we want a king. 
And so finally God says, okay, you can have a king. And that brings us to 1st and 2nd Samuel and 1st and 2nd Kings, four books of the Bible that tell the stories of the kings of Israel. Uh, now, a note about why there's firsts and seconds. Back in biblical times, they wrote those biblical scrolls on scrolls, and eventually they would run out of room on the scroll. And so if the story didn't fit all in one scroll, they would put it on a second scroll. And so that's how these Bible texts were found years and years and years ago, uh, millennia ago. And so we just keep calling them first and second, even though they all go now in one book for us. So they're meant to be told as all one story, but they're divided up into two for that way. Uh, and so second and first and second Samuel uh, are named for the prophet Samuel, who's this biblical prophet who God appoints to anoint the kings. God says, you know, if you really want a king, I'll help you choose a good one. But I'm telling you, even the best people aren't perfect. And that is what we see with the kings through First and Second Samuel and through First and Second King. We hear the kings, uh, the stories of kings who are some really good, and then but none of them perfect, and so they all screw up in some really colossal ways, even though they do some really good too. Uh, so the main kings that we hear about are Saul, David and Samuel. They're kind of the big three kings who we hear the most about. David being the best one, uh, according to the Bible, you know, according to tradition. And he ends up writing almost half of the Psalms in the Bible. So if you read the book of Psalms, a lot of them at the top will say a Psalm of David. That's King David. He was a good king. He was a musician. He was a great faithful person. And he also screwed up a lot. There's a story about him and Bathsheba where he sees a woman who he thinks looks pretty good. So he decides he wants to have her for himself. Takes her because that's what kings do. Um, and anyway, finds out that she already had a husband. So he has her husband killed and uh, marries her anyway. Not great. And that's the story of the kings over and over again. They screw up in big ways and small ways. And so that by the end of 2 Kings, two big things have happened. The kingdom of Israel has been split into two halves, the northern half and the southern half. So now instead of one kingdom of Israel, one promised land, it's split into two. And uh, not only that, but by the very end, the Assyrians and the Babylonians, these other ruling forces, have come in and conquered Israel and scattered the people, made some of them slaves again, carted some of them off to Babylon, and we enter what's called the Babylonian exile, a time where the people of Israel are scattered all over, many of of them way out into the middles of nowhere. Uh, and so then it comes to these next folks, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. Ezra is the first leader of Israel after that exile to help start bringing people back. He makes two trips with the people back into Jerusalem, back to the promised land to start rebuilding this temple, start establishing a good Jewish community again, following the laws of God, following the religious orders and political orders that had been set up originally. And so they start getting back into being the nation of Israel. Right in the middle of Ezra and Nehemiah, those books come right together and then Esther comes after him. But chronologically, Esther actually shows up in the story between Ezra and Nehemiah. And what Esther does, uh, Esther is this kind of common Jewish girl who ends up becoming the queen of Persia. It's quite a princess story, uh, if I may say so. Uh, it's quite a story and she becomes queen of Persia and so she uses her power and influence to again help get the people of Israel back 
back into their promised land. And after her comes Nehemiah, this next leader who's not a priest or a prophet, just this lay person who gets the people organized to rebuild the temple and to get into Jerusalem and to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem so that they can quit being sieged by all these armies, but they can have some fortifications so that they are protected from all the invading forces. And so once again then, by the end of Nehemiah, the people of Israel have a land again. They have their promised land and they are gathered together. They're not in slavery. They're not in exile. They are back together in this promised land. The story of these historical books of this whole thousand years is the story of the people and the land. And finally, at the beginning, they're together, and at the end, they're together. But there's a thousand really messy years in between where there's not the case, and there's more messy years to come. And so uh, that is the story of the historical books. The one that we skipped is Ruth, who you're going to get to hear a little more about in the scripture reading and in the sermon from Jeremy, because that is a story about land, but especially a story about people and relationships. It's a beautiful, beautiful story that you'll have to wait to hear, because now we're done. Holy cow, I forgot two whole books of the Bible that I just remembered. First and second Chronicles. If anyone here likes looking at Ancestry.com and building your family trees, you're going to love First and Second Chronicles because uh, that's exactly what it does. It tells the whole family tree from all the way back to Adam, all the way to King David. So if you like family trees, you like family histories, and you like names that are almost completely unpronounceable, Oh boy, you'll love First and Second Chronicles. Check it out, check it out. So now we've reached the end of the historical books. And so we hear now the scripture reading from the book of Ruth. Today's scripture reading is uh, from the first chapter of Ruth, verses 6 through 18. Then she started to return with her daughters-in-law from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had considered his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she had been living, she and her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to go back to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find security, each of you in the house of your husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud. They said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Do you still have sons in my womb? Do I have sons? Do I still have sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. Even if I thought there was hope for me, even if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you then wait until they were grown? Would you then refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, it has been far more bitter for me than for you, because the hand of the Lord has turned against me. Then they wept aloud again. 
Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There I will be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me and more as well, even if death parts me, me from you. Here ends the reading. Well, grace and peace to you in the name of Jesus Christ and good morning. I, um, like any good student, instead of writing my sermon this week, I found new and exciting ways to keep myself really distracted. Um, one of those happened to be kind of digging through some old family photos, and I came across this kind of odd gem. If you're online, you'll get a chance to see this in person. Um, after worship, you guys can come check this out. But it's this old black and white photo. Now, I have to be honest, I have moved this photo from my college dorm to my house, to my dad's house, to where we live now, to the apartment I was in. I mean, it's just a mess. Until this week, I had zero, and I mean zero, clue who any of these people were. So I have moved a photo around thinking, I've got some connection to this story, but I, I just never made the connection. And so I want you to think about photos in your own story, maybe they're family or people you know. Get kind of this image in your mind of these old black and white photos. This one that I'm holding kind of stems around the late 1800s. And here's the cool thing. I sent a text to my dad and I said, who on earth are these people? I don't know who they are. And so my dad called my uncle or texted my uncle however it happened. And he found out the people in this photo are my great, great grandmother, um, Maria Ringy, kind of a cool name, and her husband, Jons Jonsson, from Appleboss, Sweden, and their daughter, who happens to be my great-grandfather's sister, and her name is Johanna Matilda. It's a great name, right? I love this kind of image because there's something unique about our family stories. Now, what I don't know, this is the generation in our life that stayed in Sweden when everybody else left. And I'm kind of curious as I was looking at this photo, all these sort of big, huge questions came about. Like, why, why are they dressed the way they are? Um, what was life like in Sweden? Because for some reason they stayed and others left. Um, if you've ever seen old photos like this, the real question is, why does everybody look angry? Nobody ever smiles in these pictures. They all have a kind of straight face. It kind of makes you wonder, like all these big questions about who I am, about their story and how I connect to them. It's kind of a cool way for me to, to think about family and life and who we're connected to but here's the thing, that exploring our family history helps us discover parts about ourselves, but they also remind us where God is in our story. Now, I often kind of wonder if they ever imagined my great-great-grandmother that they'd have a pastor in the family or somebody who went to college, right? These are things that might have been out of their realm at the time. But it makes me kind of curious about their story. Well, Pastor Nathan talked about 
uh, history books in the Bible covering about a thousand years of family story. Um, and these, like looking at old photographs, scripture reminds us that we are interconnected with God's people. They help share our story, but they also tell us the story of our future. And so also this week as I'm distracted, I ran across this article from Emory University and it talked about creating resiliency in families, in systems, in congregations, in communities. And the number one way that you create history that says we can overcome anything is by simply telling your story. And so I'm curious, as you're thinking about your kind of history and family and your connectedness, where has God shown up for you? Where has God been a part of your story? Because what happens when we don't tell our story is we never learn to listen. We never learn to hear where God is at work, but we also leave a lot of things unsaid. And so I want to encourage you at home or in church or wherever you are to start telling your family story. Because here's why. It's the study found that if those that tell their stories are, over, are able to overcome any obstacle that comes their way because they know their story. So they named three types of stories that happen. Ascending stories, which are, we didn't have anything when we began, and now we've got everything, and that's where the story ends. The challenge with ascending stories is life doesn't ever get to deal with the bad stuff. So if life is always perfect, what happens when things go wrong? The other one is descending, that stories go backwards from we had everything and we lost everything. When we think about that, the problem with those types of stories is all you see is failure. Do you think that your life can be successful? And so the study encourages us to tell stories about the ups and downs, the highs and lows, the challenges, and everything in between called oscillating stories. They're stories that tell our narrative. Because people who tell those types of stories, the success and failures, are the ones who can handle anything. Exploring our story and our biblical story tells us and reminds us again and again that God is with us. The one who can manage the most in their story has seen the thread of God throughout history. So a thousand years of ups and downs, messiness and joys, the one common thread we always see is that God is in this. Now, I have to preface, if you're thinking about your family story, I have no hesitation in my mind that family systems are messy. So I like to say that I am the product of four mothers. So my real mom, my stepmom, my neighbor who became my mom, and my mother-in-law. So four sweet and amazing people who helped shape and transform me and who taught me very, very different lessons about life. And so I am blessed to live into that, but I know that reality isn't the same for everybody. I also know this past year, we have all experienced stressors and family systems issues and all sorts of things because of what the world has experienced. Think about it for a moment. Family systems have had to discover how to deal with politics or masks and mandates to vaccinate or not. All of these are really, really big questions. There's issues around race and justice, but we also get this, 
Many of us have been cooped up with our family for a year and a half, and we've just about had it. It's messy. It's crazy. But yet what we have to remind ourselves is God is still in this story. When we tell the story of our families, God is, does, and will remain a constant thread in the promise. See, our reading this morning hints at this promise that God is with us. Our reading comes from Ruth, this wonderful book of Naomi, her daughters Orpah and Ruth, and they've all lost their husbands, and Naomi pleads with them, return to your homelands and leave me here to die. Orpah leaves, Ruth makes a choice. And so as I was thinking about this this morning, I mined a couple of nuggets that I wanted to share with you. That Ruth is an outsider. She's a foreigner in another land. And for God, there are no outsiders. Sometimes family needs to take on a new kind of way. Maybe it's friends who have become family or those in a church community who surround us when our chips are down. There are people who are there regardless of the situation. And being a part of a church like this invites us to see that promise too. The second is that Ruth chooses relationship no matter the cost. And I want to read those words from Ruth again. Do not press me to leave you or turn back from following you. Where you go, I go. Where you lodge, I lodge. Your people shall be my people and where I die, where you die, I will die, but also that your God will be my God. May the Lord do thus and so to me, if even death parts me from you. Relationships take commitment. It means we've got to put up with the highs and lows. Ask anybody who's been married for more than a few years. They've seen those hills and valleys together, but there's something in the middle of that. Above all else, when God is the center of our story, we can endure tough things together because God's promised to be with us. Exploring family history helps us discover parts of ourselves, but we are also reminded that God is in our story. Sometimes we're reminded of the tough things and sometimes we are reminded of the promise, but either way, we are assured that God is with us. And so kind of wrapping us up today, we have to remind ourselves that we made it through a pandemic. And yet God is still faithful here and now. Oh yeah, the important thing to note too is Ruth, this stranger in a foreign land, the one who trusted an uncertain future to God, she becomes the great-great-grandmother of King David. And the great in a line of greats, mother, great-grandmother of Jesus. Her story at the face of uncertainty is, is brought into the promise of God that she becomes part of God's story in a huge way. God is still in our story as we gather here. And God is present with us wherever we go. Thanks be to God. Amen.
Well, thanks for joining us. You can find more information about Elk River Lutheran Church at our website, elkriverlutheran.org. And if you'd like to give to support this podcast and the other ministries of the church, just click that Give button at the top of the homepage. Thanks again, and have a great week. Don't take money, don't take fame, but it might just save your life to be powered by love.